Today on Adventures in Faith with Jerry Savelle. Quitting is not an option. Now, if you don't make that decision at some point in your life, then you'll always be tempted to quit. You'll always be tempted to give up. You'll always be tempted to turn back. But if you make that decision, and Brother Copeland used to refer to it as a quality decision, I asked him one time, what do you mean by that? A quality decision. He said, a decision that you would stake your life on and not back down. During the month of October, when I was praying and seeking the Lord as to what is on his agenda for the coming new year, I kept seeing this hand come out of heaven. And the Lord said, tell the people to begin to expect the open hand of God for supernatural, extraordinary, and uncommon provision. Because the open hand of God usually in the Bible represents and is symbolic of supernatural provision. How many of you could use some supernatural provision tonight? Amen? Well, don't give up. God knows it. He loves you. He's for you. He's no respecter of persons. If he'd do it for me, why wouldn't he do it for you? Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, I believe that and I receive it. Amen. And then as I was praying, the Lord also said to me to tell the people that it will also be a time of divine acceleration and unstoppable momentum. Divine acceleration and unstoppable momentum. Psalm 145, beginning in verse 14, the Lord upholdeth all that fall and raiseth up all those that be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. So notice right here, the open hand of God is symbolic of provision. And we know that the God we serve operates in the supernatural, the extraordinary, the unusual, the uncommon. Amen. Now, once again, I want to read a couple other translations to you. The Passion Translation says, when you open your hand, it's full of blessings. When you open your hand, it is full of blessings. Another commentary says, and when he opens his hand, he does it promptly and provides all that is needed at once. I call that divine acceleration. I said this morning that in most cases, and I've been serving the Lord now for almost 53 years, in most cases, my testimony has been having done all to stand, stand. I have become an expert in the art of standing. Amen. I remember when I first came to the Lord, uh, he said, it led me to the verse in the book of John that says, if you continue in my word, you will be my disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
And he said to me, that's the missing ingredient in your life. You've always been a good starter, but you've never been a great finisher. And he says, if you don't develop the art of continuing, then you're never going to be the man I want you to be. You'll never be the preacher I want you to be. You'll never be the father or the husband that I want you to be. Determine right now that quit is no longer an option. And that was 1969. I was three months old in the Lord. And he said, determine right now that quit is no longer an option. So I stood up. I said, Lord, from this day forward, quitting is not a part of my life. It's not an option anymore. Amen. Amen. And then I began to read scriptures like in Ephesians 6. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. Well, that says to me, quit is not an option. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. Once again, meaning that quitting is not an option. Now, if you don't make that decision at some point in your life, then you'll always be tempted to quit. You'll always be tempted to give up. You'll always be tempted to turn back. But if you make that decision, and Brother Copeland used to refer to it as a quality decision, I asked him one time, what do you mean by that? A quality decision. He said, a decision that you would stake your life on and not back down. If you don't make that quality decision that quitting is not an option, then you'll always be tempted to give in, to give up. I had the Lord say to me one time, and I shared this the last time I was here, in a, in a visitation I experienced in a little town called Liberty, Texas. I was preaching all over the Houston area. The last church I was in was John Osteen's, and a pastor friend of mine uh, asked me if I would stay over one more night and preach at his church. I told him, I said, uh, Pastor, I have been preaching every night. I am ready to go home. Can I, could I make plans to come back at a later time? Oh, Brother Jerry, we'd love to have you while you're here. Can you just stay over one more night? Well, it's hard for me to say no. And so I said, okay, I'll stay over one more night. So we went to this little community called Liberty, Texas. And uh, I checked into the little motel there and I decided I'm going to take a one-hour nap before I go into that service tonight, a power nap. And the only thing I unpacked was my alarm clock. I left everything else in the suitcase. And I set that alarm for one hour. And I laid down and closed my eyes. And at that moment, I experienced a visitation of the Lord. That room filled up with the Shekinah glory of God to the point I couldn't even see the furniture anymore. And the Lord appeared and he said, my people know me as Savior. Some know me as baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Some know me as healer. Some know me as deliverer. But they don't all know me as the God of the breakthrough. He said, if they did, they wouldn't be so quick to give up. He said, he said tell them when you go to that service tonight, that the God of the breakthrough wants to visit their house. Well, there was no sleeping after that. I was wide awake. I, I could hardly wait for that service to begin. And I just walked the floors, just praying in the spirit. And when I got over that service, I'm telling you, a Holy Ghost explosion took place. It was amazing. 
In fact, I had planned to fly back home after that service. And the pastor said, are you going to stay over tonight? I said, no, I'm going to fly back home. He said, uh, have you checked out of your room? I said, well, not really. I just left the key in, in, on the desk. And I said, but I don't plan to go back. I've got all my luggage and, and the pilots have already taken it to the airport. He said, well, I'm going to go stay in that room you just stayed in and I hope they hadn't even changed the sheets yet. <laughs> he said, if God showed up in that room for you, then I believe he'll show up in that room for me. I said, well, help yourself, brother. <laughs> And he did. And he said, man, he had one of the finest services on Sunday he'd ever experienced. He said, God was still hanging out in that room. Amen. But notice what the Lord said to me. If they knew me as the God of the breakthrough, they wouldn't be so quick to give up. A lot of people never experience the God of the breakthrough simply because they give up too quickly. Amen. Now, I'm not looking at anyone in particular, but you know who you are. People tend to give up too quickly. A lot of people have the idea, if it doesn't happen by dark, I'm not playing anymore. You can't live that way and live a life of faith. Amen? I have stood in faith for as long as 20 years for something to come to pass. 20 years. I remember, as I mentioned this morning, the Lord said to me back there in the early days of my ministry, that I would not be able to fulfill what I was called to do without airplanes in my ministry. And as I said uh, in the service this morning, he said, I don't want you ever flying airplanes with debt on them. Believe me for debt-free airplanes. So I began to believe God for debt-free airplanes. And he said, start believing for them now when you don't need them. And when you do need them, they'll be there. And so that was 1969. My first debt-free airplane manifested in 1975, the latter part of 1975. You say, well, from 69 to 75, you waited that long? Hey, some people wait a lifetime and never get a debt-free airplane. <laughs> What's four, five, six years, amen? And so we started flying that airplane and, and uh, boy, we enjoyed it. I couldn't wipe the smile off my face. In fact, I told, I told somebody, I said, every time I open the hangar, that airplane smiles at me. He said, I've been waiting on you, Jerry. And uh, it, was a, it was a blessing. And we flew it for quite some time, and then, then we sewed it into other ministries and believed God for our next one. Now, in 1973, I was preaching in Wichita, Kansas. And I had rented a, a, a room in a hotel that held a couple of hundred people. And one of the people that was in my meeting was an executive at Cessna Corporation, which is headquartered in Wichita, Kansas. And after the service, he came up to me and he said, uh, introduced himself, said, I'm an executive with Cessna. He said, I know you, you have flown Cessna airplanes. You're familiar with them. And he said, uh, uh, would you like to come over and let me give you a VIP tour of the plant? I said, yes, sir, I'd love to. So he took me over to Cessna Corporation, and he took me through every division. He took me to the, the 100 areas, 172s, 152s. Then he took me over to the 200 areas. And then he took me over to the 300, 310s, three, you know, went on, went on up. Then he took me over into the 400 areas, 414, 421. 
And then he said this, did you know that Cessna now builds a jet? I said, well, I've been reading about it. And he said, and we call it the citation. Number one is in the hangar right now. Would you like to see it? I said, yes, sir, I would. I've been reading about it. I'd love to see it. So he took me into the jet division. And there, citation number one was there. Also, citation number two, the first two were in that hangar. He said, climb up into citation number one. I got up in there and he said, sit over in the left seat. I got in the left seat. He sat in the right seat. He said, and he went over all the avionics and everything with me. He said, what do you think? I said, it's a beautiful airplane. At that time, I considered it to be the most beautiful airplane I'd ever seen and certainly the most beautiful airplane I'd ever sat in. And he said, go sit in the back. So I took a seat in the back. Then I took another seat in the back. And then I went to another seat in the back. And I went to another seat in the back. And I pulled the tray down. He said, can you see yourself flying to your meetings in one of these? I said, yes, sir, I can. He said, I think you ought to have a citation. I said, I'm in agreement with you. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Now, in the natural, there was no way I could buy a citation, you know. And, and of course, at that time, they didn't cost, you know, what a jet would cost today. But, but it was certainly far more money than I had. And so we stepped out of the airplane. I got out first. He followed me. I stepped out and about 10 feet away from that airplane, and I may have shared a portion of this with you last time I was here, but if I did, I want to hear it again myself. <laughs> I got out about 10 feet away from that airplane, and suddenly I heard this. The Lord said, do you remember Willie Taylor? I said, yes. Now, not out loud where anybody else could hear me, just spirit to spirit. I said, yes, I remember Willie Taylor. He was my best friend when I was a young boy. He lived across the street from me. He said, do you remember Willie's mother? I said, oh, I'll never forget Willie's mother. Willie's mother, Miss Taylor, she was about four foot eight. But that woman had a set of lungs. She could holler louder than anybody I'd ever heard in my life. And she would stand on the back porch. Now, we country people, you know, grew up in the country. She'd stand on the back porch. Now, Willie and, I, Willie and I'd be off playing somewhere. Sometimes we's off in, a, in the woods. Sometimes we's off in a pond swimming. But when it was time for Willie to come home, his mother would cup her hands over her mouth. And this is what we would hear. Willie! <laughs> and the rule was, at Willie's house, if she didn't see him running toward her before she got through with the, <laughs> he got a whooping. Now, we don't get whippings in the South. We get whoopings. <laughs> that was the rule. And when Willie heard his mama go, Willie, she better see him running toward the house before she got through. And he always did. I mean, one time we were skinny dipping in a pond. And Willie jumped out of the pond naked, taking off, running to the house. And I'm behind him with his clothes, trying to get his clothes on. <laughs> but he knew, you know, it'd be, it'd be better to show up naked than, than a whooping from mama, you know? <laughs> and so, so uh, 
I thought, this is so strange. Why would God bring up Willie to me? And I'm standing there just like I'm frozen in place. And this executive, he don't know what's going on. He's not hearing what I'm hearing. And we got workers in the plant. They don't know what's going on. And the Lord said, I want you to turn around and face that airplane and call it into your ministry just like Willie's mama called him home. And he said, and you name it Willie. (laughs) Now I'm standing here with this executive from Cessna. (laughs) Lord, can't I do this when I get to my hotel room? (laughs) No. So I turned around. Nobody knows what I'm going to do. I turned around and faced that airplane and I said, in the name of Jesus, I call you into my ministry and from this day forward, your name is Willie. Willie, come on home. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) So, so I turned around to that man and I said, we can go now. And so we went, he didn't even ask me until we got to his car. He's going to take me back to the hotel. And he got, he, he got ready to turn the ignition on and he just stopped. And he said, do, I, do you mind if I ask you what that was all about? <laughs> so I had to tell him the story about Willie. He said, oh, okay. So that airplane's name is Willie. I said, from now on it is. And I just called it into my ministry. He said, well, I agree with you. Thank God he was a believer. Praise God. Well, it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen in a month. It didn't happen in a year. It didn't happen in five years. It didn't happen in 10 years. But 20 years later, I wound up with that very airplane. When they build a new jet, or any airplane for that matter, usually they take the first one to show it and display it and to take orders for it. And then once they're satisfied, they have enough orders to invest in it. There's enough uh, people that are interested in it. Then they totally dismantle number one and it doesn't exist anymore. But because I obeyed God and in that plant in front of all those people and I named that airplane Willie and I told it to come home, God preserved it and reserved it for Jerry Savelle. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And of course, by the time I got it, you know, I I had to, you know, being, as you know, I told you earlier, uh, I I restored classic cars, classic motorcycles. I, I had a business doing that before I went into the ministry. So God knows I love classics. And he also knows I'll take a classic and make it better than it was when it was first made. That's what I do, man. It's what I do. Okay. (laughs) And uh, so I took that airplane and I put the latest state-of-the-art avionics in it. New paint job, new interior. Everything was brand new. Amen. 
and painted right on the side, Willie. <laughs> and everywhere I went, people would know the testimony of Willie, okay? And I flew that airplane for 12 years. Amen. Amen. So I know how to stand. I'm willing to stand. Brother Hagen used to say, if you're willing to stand forever, it won't take very long. You see, most people are not willing to stand until dark. Stand forever? But I found that to be true. If you're willing to stand forever, if you've made the decision that quitting is no longer an option, then it's not going to take very long. Amen. Now, another story is this. I've, I've preached in over 49 different nations. Uh, I've been believing God for many, many years for an international aircraft where I could fly anywhere in the world and not have to be dependent on commercial airlines. Because a lot of the places I go, the commercial airlines don't even go there. Sometimes I'll go to a place and then I have to rent a car and I'll drive another 200 miles. You know, I, I, I preach in the bush a lot, Africa. And there's no airports there. And sometimes, I, when in the early days, when I first started going to Africa in 1978, I'd go to Nairobi, that's as far as I could get, and then I'd have to drive eight hours to the bush in the places that I was preaching in. Well, we began to believe for an international aircraft. And wouldn't you, isn't it amazing? The Lord led me to believe for a Falcon 50. And there's a long story in that, but I won't get into it. But he led me to believe for a Falcon 50, a three-engine jet. And the reason I wanted three engines is because I'm over the water all the time. Not only that, but Falcon is built in France, and they build it after their military airplanes. It's a short-field landing plane, a short-field taking-off plane. In fact, we just landed on a short field here recently, and it was fun, hallelujah. <laughs> I, told my, I told my chief pilot, I said, give me one of them aircraft landing approaches. And one of those uh, aircraft carrier approaches. Boy, he whipped it in there, and we come down so fast, it took me a week to get my hair to lay down again, you know? <laughs> now, the good thing about a Falcon is, if you lose an engine, which we don't plan to, but if you lose one of the engines, you can still fly safely on two engines. You can land safely with two engines, and you can take off safely with two engines. And a two-engine jet, if you lose an engine, wherever you lost that engine, you are grounded until you replace that engine, but not with a Falcon. If I'm over in Africa somewhere, and I lost an engine, I can get back home. That airplane is not gonna stay in Africa. We can fly it back home safely and do what we need to do when we get home. So that's the reason I was, I was led to the Falcon 50. 20 years later, isn't it amazing? 20 years for my first jet and 20 years later for my first international jet. So what I'm saying to you is this. In fact, we flew it here, even though it's not international, but it's close. <laughs> it's out there waiting for me right now. What I'm saying to you is this. I know how to stand. My name is Jerry, having done all to stand, stand, so that's my middle name. Now, and I'm willing to stand. 
I don't care how long it takes, I'm willing to stand. Because I've learned even those 20 years in between those two airplanes, once it happened, it's the shortest 20 years I ever spent in my life. Because you don't think about it took 20 years anymore. You're so busy praising God that it felt like it just happened overnight. Amen. In fact, you can ask my wife, in that Falcon 50, I cannot sit down. I sit down for takeoff, and then I'm up walking the floors, praising God. I, I just, I, in fact, my chief pilot, he'll, he'll turn it over to the, to the other pilot, and he'll come walking back there with a big smile on his face. He said, Brother Jerry, if you think this thing is fun to ride in, you ought to fly it. He said, I can't wipe the smile off my face every time we get in. I said, welcome to the club. I can't wipe the smile off my face either. It's just so overwhelming, the goodness of God. And I haven't thought one time. It took 20 years, not one time. How can you overcome the storms and challenges of life? How can you be victorious against Satan's attacks? Today's special offer. The Open Hand of God special package contains Jerry Savelle's brand new four-part audio series, Open Hand of God, along with his revealing book, Show Me Your Glory. In this special package, Jerry teaches how to have unshakable faith, how to know God's will, how God's glory brings miracles, and how to overcome any adversity. Learn how God will open His hand and freely give to those who refuse to be shaken in the midst of chaos and disorder. Don't delay. Call or go online now to jerrysavelle.org and request your copy of the Open Hand of God special package. Discover how God will satisfy you with everything you need. Regardless of the hardships and troubles around you, God's open hand will cause you to win. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I pray that the lesson has been so beneficial to you, inspiring to you, and I trust, praise God, that you will position yourself to experience this prophetic word this year. God wants to open His hand, and He wants you to experience unusual, extraordinary, and supernatural provision. It can happen to you. It's happened to me. It's happened to other people who've heard me preach this. And praise God, it can happen to you. Why? Because God is no respecter of persons. Now, if you want to continue studying this message, it is available to you on four CDs talking about the hand of God representing provision. Every time you see the phrase hand of God in the Bible, most of the time it's talking about provision. But this is what God wants to do for you. This year, unusual, extraordinary, and supernatural provision, four CDs. Then right along with it, a book that I wrote a couple of years ago entitled, Show Me Your Glory. When you talk about the glory of God, it is the manifestation of the goodness of God, the presence of God, and the power of God. This goes right along with the series on the hand of God. So this is our resource package that you can order today. And I wanna to encourage you to do it while it's fresh on your mind. The resource package, once again, the hand of God. So all the information for ordering is on the screen or you can contact us at jerrysavelle.org and please do it right away while it's fresh on your mind because I know these messages will continue to inspire you. 
I want to thank you for watching today. I want to thank all of my partners for believing in us and helping make this all possible. You're a vital part of this ministry. You help us reach the world with a message of faith. Thank you. God bless you. And I'll see you again soon.